0: What is SCC? What does it mean to be part of Southport Church of Christ? So our vision here at Southport is about following Jesus, transforming lives. This is the mission Jesus calls us to, that we're not just a church of six pastors, but we're a church of over 600 ministers. So We're in a series in 1 Corinthians. We're up to chapter 15, which is very exciting. We're not going to do that today. That will be next week. Uh, Disappointing. Just hang in there, chapter 15. Uh, Don Sisson will uh, talk us through the first part of chapter 15 in the morning and Adam Packer, our high school uh, worker, will preach. uh, It's actually his first sermon in church on the Sunday night uh, in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. So come along to that if you... uh, are able. But this week we want to talk about something as a a one-off topic more so, about ministry in the marketplace, about how do we interact in the community around us Uh, and it speaks into the things that we're talking about, uh, that we just talked about, carols and red frogs and so forth and a whole bunch of other things we do as a church. Uh, I want to ask you a couple of really important questions about your posture in the community, about your thought life before God and then I want to encourage you at the end. But before we do all that, I want to read a few verses to you from Acts chapter 17, talking about Paul's experience in Athens, uh, written by Luke, and start at verse 16, it'll be up on the screen. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and god-fearing Greeks as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him some of them asked him what is this Babbler trying to say. Others remarked he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They they said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent time doing nothing but talking and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked very carefully, uh, not very carefully, just carefully, <laughs> he looked carefully at your objects of worship. I even found an altar with this inscription, to an un-God, no, unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. That's the Apostle Paul speaking in Athens, the book of Acts, chapter 17. Let me pray. Father, as we open your word this morning, as we think about the culture in which you have placed us in this time and in this location here on the Gold Coast, we invite you now through your Holy Spirit to speak to us about how we should respond in the culture we find ourselves in, how we understand you as our father and guide and creator of all things and encourage us in what we are doing as we serve you uh, to see the growth of the kingdom in this setting in jesus name we pray amen so i wrote a letter um yeah that's it <laughs> no no i brought lots of letters i wrote a letter to the uh, congregation here at southport uh, in uh, mid-October, anyone remember, anyone remember that? It was a while ago now. Uh, it was a letter, an open letter to us as a church, in response to a situation that had unfolded at my favourite Essendon football club, my footy team. I'm a third-generation Bombers fan. My grandpa George was a devout follower of the Bombers, as was my father Neil, as am I. Uh, maybe a little less so, and as is my son, Tommy, who's quite conflicted on the issue, but he loves the bombers. <laughs> I told him he did. <laughs> I wrote the letter in response to Essendon's sacking of its newly appointed CEO, Andrew Thorburn, after a mere 24 hours in the job. Thorburn was a former CEO of the National Australia Bank in Australia and had been just appointed as the CEO of the Essendon Footy Club Uh, reportedly paying $850,000 over a multi-year contract. Thorburn is well known in business as a Christian man and after the press release to inform the wider public, those that oppose Christian values in our culture uh, set about their work. It was fairly quickly uncovered that Thorburn was also a board member of a church, a local church much like this one. City on the Hill is the name of the church which is attached to the Anglican denomination. The minister of the church uh, of which Thorburn was a part had preached some messages some nine years prior addressing the topics of sexuality and abortion. Thorburn's church held views or holds views that are quite similar to us here at Southport Um, and even though Thorburn didn't preach these messages nor was he on the board at the time, he was facing significant pressure in this role as a result. What stood out to me most in this process Uh, in this whole situation was not just the pressure that was applied to him uh, in the broader sense but also that the Victorian Premier, uh, Dan Andrews, who is an Essendon supporter and a professing Catholic, weighed into this situation immediately. Dan Andrews uh, is a strong uh, supporter of the distinction between church and state but he felt it necessary to speak into the appointment of a CEO in a football club based solely on the individual being a Christian. Here are a couple of direct quotes in regard to uh, the church's views on sexuality and abortion from Dan Andrews. He said, they are absolutely appalling, they are bigotry and intolerant. This level of external pressure uh, within 30 hours of his appointment at the Essendon Football Club Uh, Thorburn was asked to make a choice between his role at Essendon as CEO uh, on the salary that I just mentioned and his role in the church as a local church board member as a volunteer, citing that the values of the two organisations did not align. He made his decision almost immediately. The church came first and resigned from his role at Essendon. I raised this example and I wrote the letter because I believe it's actually a marker point in our cultural flow here in Australia. As we, as a nation, actively reject the values of the Judeo-Christian faith and embrace the misinterpretation of the actions and motives of churches, or sorry, we we embrace the misinterpretation, the way people perceive us as churches, and the active actions and motives of churches, this is a marker point. But it's seen before, specifically here in the book of Acts in Athens, and in the first century, during Jesus' time and after as well. In the verses we just read in the book of Acts, we see how the Greeks in Athens saw Paul and Peter and Christians in general. We kind of just brushed over it as we read it, but... The the description of Paul in this uh, from those in his setting, verse 18, says, what is this babbler trying to say is the question that is raised on the ground floor in Athens. The folks around there don't get it. They don't understand what Paul is talking about. They think he's waffling and they show him no respect. It makes no sense to them. Verse 18 continues, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. It's still not computing for them. Verse 20, he has strange ideas. I wonder how you find talking about Jesus in this day and age with the people that you mix with. Walking about in the marketplace of your university or your workplace, the social scene that you engage in down at the golf club or other folks around you as you see Christians interacting on platforms like social media and other digital forms. There is a breadth in terms of culture that, was, that exists today that existed in Paul's day as well. It's the same in our city here on the Gold Coast. Christians, non-Christians, agnostics, atheists people of various faith, those consumed by what they can build and accumulate. Maybe you feel a bit like a babbler advocating something that people don't understand. People think that your ideas are strange. They might even think that you're strange. Well, you're in good company. As Paul goes on here in Athens, he lists uh, a group of, uh, the, the different groups of people that are present, Uh, that uh, Luke has identified at the very least. Uh, Jews, God-fearing Greeks, general people in the marketplace, the Epicurean philosophers, the Stoic philosophers, the Athenians and then foreigners, there's very religious people in that setting and worshippers of idols. You might be wondering what an Epicurean is or a Stoic philosopher, philosopher and what they were on about. Well, Epicurus came to prominence just uh, in the centuries leading up to Christ's birth, a few hundred years. Very, very little of Epicurus's writing has been able to survive, but his main philosophy was this. The greatest good for humanity was to seek a modest, sustainable pleasure in the form of the state of tranquility and freedom from fear the absence of bodily pain and understanding or knowing the workings of the world and limiting your desires. Just living a quiet life with the target of being tranquil, free of fear and just, you know, having a healthy space. Epicurus had disciples, people who followed him and his teaching, and they further enhanced his theories after he passed away and wrote down his philosophies, etc., and they would be debated regularly. One of their favourite combatants was the Stoic philosophers. They came to prominence about the same time, were a large group in this region. They were big advocates of virtue ethics or just doing good. Because of this, Stoics thought that the best indication of an individual's philosophy was not what the person said, but how the person behaved. To live a good life, one had to understand the rules of the natural order because everything was rooted in nature. You know, I think the reason Paul mentions these two specifically is because they were prominent at the time, so they would be understood by those that were originally reading this text, um, But they were also views that people advocated for broadly. This concept of removing God from the scene. Having just a happy life, being healthy and not overreaching, understanding nature around you, but you actually remove God out of the scene. Alongside those two, he references a number of religious points of view in this passage as well, highlighting this mishmash of theories and beliefs. Life in Australia, life on the Gold Coast, reflects this wide variance of diversity as well. Many churches, many faiths, many philosophies. People have removed or eradicated God from the picture. Pleasure is the goal. A quiet life free of pain in harmony with oneself is the goal for so many people in our culture. It's creating a disconnect that existed here in Athens as well, all around Rome in the first century, just like it does today. But the story is much deeper than that in this picture in 1 Corinthians... uh, Sorry, in the picture in Athens. What are we reading? Acts. I knew it's there somewhere. The words were in there somewhere. Acts in Athens. The picture is much deeper than that. Paul is not just talking about the disobedience of the people and the rejection of their hearts towards God... But he's also identifying that there's a spiritual dimension here for those who are receiving these letters. The Apostle Paul writes this to uh, the church at Corinth that we've been working through in this series. He wrote this in chapter 2. We we looked at this quite some time ago, verses 6 to 8. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age. Paul is saying, as we bring the gospel, tell the story of the gospel and live out the gospel, we're going over and above the wisdom that can be found in humanity. It's different, right? That's what he's saying. The folks who come with their human wisdom, they're coming to nothing. He says at the end of that verse, No, we declare God's wisdom. A mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would have not have crucified the Lord of glory. If they had have seen what God was doing, understood the spiritual dimension and who God is, they would not have done the things that they had done. They were acting in their own wisdom, seeking their own outcomes. This is the disconnect that Paul is speaking into, and it's the same disconnect that you and I live in today. People's rejection of God to live lives separated from him, seeking their own happiness, their own pathway, their own journey to freedom or comfort or whatever it is that they pursue. So how does God want us to respond to this dilemma? How does he want the church to respond in this kind of time? How does he want Christians to respond today? How does he want someone like you to respond? How would he want someone like Andrew Thorburn to respond? Well, the Apostle Peter gives us very good advice when it comes to this kind of issue in our culture because the same issues were faced in that setting as well. We talked about this passage before, 1 Peter 3.15... But in your hearts, revere, or your translation might say, set apart. In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. This is an excellent insight from the Apostle Peter about cultural engagement into the community around us with the kind of challenges they were facing. People stand confident in their own choices, strong in their resistance and rejection of God or the gospel. For us to be ready and willing to give a response for the hope that we have because we've set apart Christ as our Lord and Saviour, but for us to do that with gentleness and respect. Peter goes on in chapter 4, he says this, or a thief, or any kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Don't be surprised, says Peter, as Christianity continues to be pushed to the sidelines, with apathy and disinterest from those around you, even hostility and persecution and injustice, which gets delivered towards you. As people accuse you of babbling or advocating for something they don't understand or see you as foolish even. Don't be surprised, says Paul here. Jesus is clear on this in John chapter 13. He says, "'By this everyone will know that you are my disciples,' If you love one another, he puts the central tenet, motivation, in the middle of that text. You need to love one another. They won't know necessarily that you're his disciples by the battles you win or lose, or by the doctrine you hold, or by what you disagree with, or by what you're petitioning for, or by your reasoning or your desire to argue people into the faith. Those things all have a place, apologetics and doctrine and taking a stand for things are important and valid, but they're not the primary triggers or activators of God's redemptive work in a person, says Jesus. Love is the way that you will engage one another. That's how people will see that you're a follower of his. It's a difficult challenge in our environment as we send our high school, not high school, our young people out, our young adults out, to serve those who are finishing high school, to come for red frogs on the Gold Coast. There will be many challenges that they face in that environment, and they're going to love people as they respond to them. There's a collective of churches here on the Gold Coast. I'm not sure if you know about this or not. I suspect you do. I hope you do. Uh, it started uh, prior to the Commonwealth Games, uh, and is identified, loosely identified, as the Pastors Roundtable. In the lead-up to the Commonwealth Games, the churches wanted to work together to see how that we could serve the, co- the community of the Gold Coast during the Commonwealth Games. But we wanted that unity that existed in terms of evangelism and support, etc., to have a legacy beyond just two weeks of Commonwealth Games. So the Gold Coast uh, Pastors' Round Table was born, um, and it represents the churches of the Gold Coast. It initiates and activates events such as Easter United, which is our Resurrection Sunday service in the PM down at the Broadwater, things of that nature. The round table uh, meets regularly with uh, uh, Mayor Tom Tate, who's the mayor of the city here on the Gold Coast. And earlier, or about 12 months ago, 18 months ago maybe, uh, the roundtable, supported by the mayor's office, uh, commissioned an organisation called Neighbour to activate what's called a faith action audit. There's lots of bad news stories about the church broadly that you'll see in the media or social media, Uh, But the church does lots of good in the community and so Neighbour are an organisation that facilitate faith action audits audits, which tells you the impact of faith communities in a town or a city or a region. And so that was commissioned for the Gold Coast uh, to look at the uh, activity of faith communities in a 12-month span. 239... uh, Well, We'll just have a flick through a few of these slides here. Uh, and I haven't really told Cathy which ones we're going to go with, so this is going to be exciting. (laughs) The the second slide uh, tells you about the demographic that was uh, surveyed as a part of this process. I'll read the the things out to you, because if you're sitting at the back um, and you've got poor eyesight and you're a little drowsy and you've got a hat on that's pulled down over your eyes, you might not be able to read this. So there's 625,000 people who live on the Gold Coast from Bean down to the border and Mount Tambourine as the, uh, uh, the, kind of the marker lines. And uh, 625,000, and that's the area that this audit had, t- had taken into place. In that region, there are 239 churches, um, faith groups or faith-based organisations. All of them had the opportunity to participate in this survey or this faith action audit. There was 124 who responded. That's slide three, Uh, Kathy, uh, which represents 52% of all faith-based organisations on the Gold Coast, which actually does give a reasonable representation. Over half responded and gave information into this faith action audit. That's helpful. It's good to know. Uh, Slide five. Gives us an insight into the breakdown of what the faiths are that are participating in this faith action audit. Uh, If you can't read that, you'll see that 82% of the faith groups that are represented there are Christian, mainline Christian, whether that be from Pentecostal, Anglican, Church of Christ, Baptist, etc., etc., and Christian organizations. So, in this information I'm about to present to you, the Christian community does the heavy lifting of all that is identified in the faith action audit, 82%. And then that right-hand side gives you some breakdown of other faiths that are active here on the Gold Coast. The next slide, uh, slide number six, tells us about the kinds of things that faith organisations are active in. There are 206 community services that are run through churches or Christian or faith-based organisations and they address the top 13 social needs that our community here on the Gold Coast faces. You can see this breakdown, you'll be able to read that up the back, oh, that's self-explanatory, I don't need to talk you through that one. <laughs> Food and material assistance, uh, community connection, children and youth chaplaincy are the top four and they're the things that churches and faith-based communities are engaging into the broader community around us. The point of explaining that is that Christians, 82% of the faith-based organisations, are engaged in all of the important issues that the Gold Coast faces, social uh, issues that we face in this community. That's good news. Uh, number nine, slide number nine there, Kathy. 625,000 people live on the Gold Coast, call it home uh, and as a result of this faith action audit held over 12 months, 355,000 almost 356,000 unique people as in different people were able to receive contact from those services. That's 57% of the Gold Coast community. That's an outstanding statistic that Faith communities are engaging over half, almost six in ten people in the community, unique, different people. In actual fact, the number of contacts is well over a million, but there'll be some people who have multiple engagements, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, that's a very positive statistic. Number 11, slide number 11 through the Neighbour report, using uh, government structures, uh, government endorsed structures, how the government measure uh, the financial value of any kind of event that they run. So when they say, uh, we just had the Gold Coast 500 here, the motorsport, and it brought $200 million into the economy. They have a a matrix that they work through to work out those numbers. So Neighbour use the same matrix but not the same financial value. Let me explain that to you. Um, they have to work out whether there is a financial contribution that faith communities make to the uh, the, the Gold Coast. And they've been able to use the matrix used by the government uh, and, and identify that $43 million of value is injected into the economy of the Gold Coast in just that last 12 months. That's based on only 52% of faith groups responding that's so just over half so you can maybe up that number a little bit and the dollar figure that they use is the minimum wage so they assess the uh, the employment hours of faith organizations the volunteer hours uh, and then uh, sort of the measure of the uh, kind of the for a better word uh, better use of well, I can't even make it a better use of the word because I can't even get it out. Um, just the, the services that, putting a value on the services that those faith communities provide, $43 million, but they work it out on the minimum wage. The government don't do it on the minimum wage. Um, and so this number, you could probably conservatively, uh, probably double in terms of the way that really reads that's a that's a major impact into the community around us. so I want to let you know that because it should be a massive encouragement to you because the stories we get back the things that we hear from people is that the uh, churches are not relevant uh, what they teach and what they preach is uh, is antiquated and you know uh, sort of caveman side of kind of Uh, thought processes and we'd be better off without them, that kind of thinking. But the reality of the Gold Coast here is that over half of the population have engaged with faith communities and there's a significant investment uh, financially into the community that faith-based organisations play. Uh, Slide number 14, this was also really interesting to me as we... Uh, work through this um, feedback is that during the time of COVID there was increased engagement based on faith communities. They got their hands dirty, they got busy, they got about serving and supporting people during that season of COVID and actually quite typically whenever there is a disaster of any sort in our region, whether it be floods, fires, whatever, uh, faith-based communities get active and participate. Now, yeah, part of my role with the, the round table, the pastor's round table, afforded me the opportunity to be in the room when this was presented to the media. It was presented to there was a formal presentation to the mayor, which I was present for, and then there was a media release after that. And what really stood out to me as I stood in this room, I had the opportunity to speak to uh, the news broadcasters on the Gold Coast here and share my thoughts. Uh, none of which made it to any news report anywhere. <laughs> Apparently, my fly was undone. I don't know. <laughs> and so, anyway, I was there, I was in the room. You have to take my word for it, right? A lady by the name of Ree Alley, who represents the, uh, the multi faith movement on the Gold Coast, also had the opportunity to speak to it and spoke very positively about the report. She's a lovely lady, uh, Ree. None, th- none of the things that she said made it to. Uh, the, uh, the final cut. She was left on the cutting room floor, as was I, which was very hurtful. But Nick, um, uh, his name escapes me, Nick Mackay, who is the facilitator of this report, was absolutely bombarded by the media. He, he works for Neighbour, he put this report together. It's a good story, It's a great story for the Gold Coast, talking about the faith based communities and how they impact the community around us. But the media didn't want to tell that story, they wanted to tell a different story uh, about how maybe the figures were fudged and because Nick's a Christian, he was leaning it in a particular direction and um, who commissioned this report and who paid for it and is it a waste of taxpayers, all these ridiculous questions because the media didn't want to tell the good story about just the impact of faith on the community. That challenge may come to you someday. It might come sooner than you think, where as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, affiliated with this church or that church, where you are going to get out of the blue, pressed to make a choice about your affiliation with the church or your connection with the church and this social issue that is going to confront your peers and the community around you. Something that was not an issue a short period of time ago is an issue now and you're going to have to make a call. Because people around you might want to be telling a different story where I can achieve all that I want to achieve and write God out of the picture at the same time. The reason this report encourages me so much is because the things that we do as a church, as we teach the gospel, teach the Bible, we have Bible studies and life groups and uh, prayer groups and all sorts of things going all the time for people to grow in their faith. But we also have a culture here at Southport that is very missional, that says we want to be engaged in the community. We run the, the, the pantry on the, on the, or the courtyard on the Monday morning uh, serving people who are battling around food and uh, loneliness type issues. We run a counselling and psychology service. We run an op shop that meets the community. We run a, a meals program into the university village where we feed stacks of university students um, every month. We run the mooring ministry that offers wraparound care for families Uh, who've got a loved one in intensive care and other wards at the hospital. This posture as a church of saying, here's what we believe, but here's how we want to love you at the same time, is the balance that Peter is suggesting that we should take forward as we move as a church into this kind of hostility. And so I'm so glad that uh, we're a church that does both of those things. Teaches the word and delivers love without strings attached just to display who the person of Jesus is. So as I finish, let me remind you of this passage again from 1 Peter. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian... Do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Let me pray. Father, we can see, we can see that there is a a momentum, a, a tide pulling away from you, the values, truth, love that serves other people. We can see that people will manipulate and misinterpret and seek to twist words to bring a different outcome. But we want to be people who stay faithful to you, to set you apart, revere you as Lord. That we'd be ready to give an answer to the question about the hope that we have and that we would not be surprised to find that people don't like it or they want to push back father we are just totally committed to serving you and understanding that you have called us into this region you will empower us to serve you and bring the love of christ to the community around us in jesus name we pray amen